0: Hello, welcome to the Growing Design Podcast, where we help you grow your design agency. If you want to learn how to price your services, how to sell your expertise, and how to attract the right type of clients, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Ed Orozco. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to another episode of Growing Design. Today, we have my very good friend, Jeannie O joining us on the show. Ginny, do you mind introducing yourself for the audience?
1: Sure, thanks for having me, Ed. Hi everyone, I'm Ginny, and I'm the founder CEO of Wander. We are a product strategy and user experience design firm that's uh, specialized in B2B or enterprise software.
0: Yeah, and Wander has a very a particular characteristic, and that is that it's 100% remote. Wonder does not have an office, Um, so can you tell us a little bit about... Well, first of all, how did you start Wonder? Why um, and a little bit of what was going on in your life when you decided to create a fully remote agency?
1: Sure, Uh, so we have been remote for almost five and a half years now. Uh, So pre-COVID days. And the reason why we've always scaled remotely was essentially for my love of traveling and learning new culture. Uh, I started Wander, um, you know, when I was going through a transitional phase in my life and all I wanted to do was travel. And I wanted to have a job or pursue a passion that was going to allow me to have the freedom and the time to go anywhere, anytime that I wanted to. So, uh, early days of wander, I was a solo freelancer. Um, I was consulting startups on UX and content strategy, and eventually, I started to hire freelance other freelancers that I was that I thought were so much better than me. So, I started managing the clients and bringing on other ux designers that had essentially better portfolio than i thought i did and started to build a team from there so that was like first year of wander
0: that's very cool so guys wonder was remote before COVID. before being remote was mainstream um <laughs> so yeah so tell us a little bit about that transition of being a freelancer and sort of starting to work with other people like sort of hiring people who were specialists in the things that you were probably lacking a little bit of experience on
1: yeah so i think my my the reason why i started hiring other freelancers was i knew where i fell short and so i would look at my design work and i always knew i could give more to my clients and so I started looking for visual designers who can add, um, you know, a little emphasis to the UX designs that we're creating. So that was kind of my first freelancer that I hired. Um, and then the clients I was working with, they would ask like, hey, can you help me develop a website? So then I would hire a developer. Um, but it wasn't until that I decided to transition from freelancer to Uh, wander that I started to see more of my shortcomings which was delegating my tasks. Um, I felt like I had to do everything and handle all the client communication so that was a really challenging year and uh, that was also the year that I found our um, head of operations Jenna. Um, So her her and I had met we were working remotely Um, she was in Canada at the time uh, and then shortly after her visa got approved, and it was so funny because the first day our head of operations and I met in person, we decided to look for apartments together to move in together. Um, and so that, that happened, uh, I think that was 2016, and she helped me to actually incorporate Wander. So we weren't even incorporated at the time, and she took care, took care of all of the administrative and operational uh, part of the business
0: that's very cool um how did you decide that you wanted to start working i mean you were already remote and you were already working um from basically whenever uh, whatever you wanted um how did you decide to like hire people who were also in the same mindset did it ever occur to you to maybe have an office that you would go to eventually but where your um team would be working or Were you from day one thinking, oh, everyone is going to be remote and there's never going to be an office?
1: Yeah, that was pretty much day one. I just um, I had just moved to L.A. for the first time after um, having lived in China, having lived in France. Um, I was literally traveling all over the world. Um, And so for me, it wasn't even an option to stay planted in one place and have an office like I knew I wanted to continue to be remote. Um, and the second part, like growing up, like being super international and having to ex- experience all these different cultures, like I knew that I wanted to incorporate that culture and value into whatever I do, whether it's a company or a personal brand or whatever it is. Um, and the third aspect of that is, so I started my freelancing, um, freelancing like gig on a platform called Odesk, which is now called Upwork. So uh, I think it was Odesk and Elance merged to create Upwork. So um, I heard about it from a friend of mine. um, So I like signed up for it. And that's how I got my first gig. I was like, I think I got paid like ten dollars to write three articles like that's not even minimum wage (laughs) and i realized oh like wow this platform is full of international talent that you can hire um so i was very excited to see that um and see what was even possible so that's kind of why i've always stayed remote
0: um what was your the process like when you started delegating more stuff to other team members because you were mentioning earlier that you were doing all of the project management you were doing the finances operations hiring everything so how was that process in which you started first identifying these are the things that someone else should be doing for me or helping me with yeah And, and and how like what were your main struggles when you were doing that transition
1: Oh man, uh, so many struggles, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I guess the first part it started with Jenna, our head of operations. Like she uh, kind of came to my room one day, and again we were living at the, living together at the time. And she came into my room and she's like, "Jenny, you know, you're always stressed out. Like, let's map out uh, what needs to be done so that we can create processes and." I remember her proposing to me to create like these manuals and handbooks for future employees. And I got so upset because I'm like, Jenna, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. I don't need you to spend time creating manuals. And I just thought it was the dumbest thing. Well, not the dumbest. I just thought it was a big waste of time. Um, And now I look back at it and I realize how uh, naive I was um, for trying to ever stop her from doing that. Because that really helps delegate and save a lot of my, uh, my time, um, and produce processes that were necessary to scale. Um, and I think the other part was um, hiring more designers uh, and starting to learn from them of how they have uh, how they have handled clients in the past. So fun fact, everyone, Ed and I used to work together. He was part of Wander. Um, and Ed was actually the first uh, full time person that we've ever hired, uh, without him working part time first. Um, I remember like getting off the phone with you and just being super excited and telling Jenna like, I think we have someone that we need to hire right now. So, um, so I remember when you came on board, we were. I think i was pretty um pretty trusting and i remember i just like gave you a client and was like hey he wants x y and z i'll let you handle the rest i don't know if you remember that but i think that's what i remember when we were working together initially
0: yeah i do i do remember that Um, and i was actually surprised that so early on i was entrusted with so much responsibility but at the same time i was very uh grateful for the opportunity to kind of like um do something really good sort of like trying to like you know impress the team impress the client and hopefully um making the making the team ha- build up reputation with that client so that we would get more p- uh projects from from that person um we're not gonna say the name but that person did go uh, come back to us uh several times uh, throughout the years, um, to work with us because he was so happy um, with with what we produce. Um, but yeah, I guess that's part of being an entrepreneur is to take uh, calculated risks, uh, where the upside the 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 upside can be can have so much impact or so much positive impact in your business, whereas the downside. You know it's it's limited it's like there's only so much you can lose by taking this risk so i think you made you had to make a decision and say uh we can i cannot continue doing all of this uh, work myself uh i need to start delegating and you were like i'm just gonna take a risk with this random guy and (laughs) i hope it works
1: yeah Yeah. And you know, we've had times where we thought like we can do that same process with somebody else and like, Hey, here's a client. Hey, here's what you need to do. And we've had people who have completely, um, uh, dropped the ball. Um, so definitely, definitely calculated risk. Um, but I mean, so far the ROIs have been really great.
0: Yeah, that's really, that's really great. Um, did you encounter any pushback or sort of um, an attitude of maybe lack of trust? I don't know if trust is the right <laughs> word, but were, yeah. you, were you like trying to sort of justify yourself in front of clients because the team was all international and the, you didn't have an office? Remember, guys, this was Ugh, a long time ago. Yeah. So remote work. <laughs> was not as as um popular as it is today and there was no COVID, so people still were coming to work with the mentality that okay. you have to have an office you have to work nine to nine to five uh you have to like see your your work uh colleagues every single day in like in person so did you ever find like you had to like of like prove yourself yeah. to your clients because oh, of those yeah. reasons.
1: Yeah, it was always an uphill battle. Um, and definitely, we were definitely pioneers. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm sure like people hearing this now are probably like, oh yeah, remote work. Like, yeah, that's great. No, th- this is like, five, six years ago where remote work was not a possibility or it was new. People were very skeptical about it. People were skeptical about offshore teams. Um, And, you know, most of the development companies that are in this industry are outsourcing to you know uh, Southeast Asia, where they've been burned by their processes before, or there's language barriers, or things are taking way too long, uh, longer than expected. So I, I, we've talked to a lot of leads and clients who have gone through that experience of working with offshore companies. And so we had to like re-educate them of one, we're not offshore. We never brand ourselves as offshore. We are a global company. We like people who have uh, different cultural and work backgrounds. Um, And it's that um, diversity that adds to the Wander uniqueness and the unique selling point um, and the value that we add back to our clients. But, you know, It's about educating them about what that actually means. And the second part is, you know, what is remote work? Like, how are you guys even efficient? How can we even hold you guys accountable? Um, Accountability is a big word uh, when it comes to remote work. So, um, so it, it was, a lot of the focus had to be about, you know, our process, uh, what it meant to be remote and how we communicate with each other. And the second part, you know, really introducing our team as an asset versus a liability. So I would say those have been like the two biggest things that have become significantly easier this year in 2020 and 2021. Um, Trying to explain that people are like, oh, but it, it, it's, it was like a complete flip of a switch. Like before we would kind of like not hide, but we would be, um, we would kind of skim a, around the topic of us being remote. Um, And now we like, we're like out of the closet. We're happy and proud to say that we have been a fully remote company since day one. So yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, now it's cool. Now everyone's doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, now it's cool. <laughs> now we're trendsetters.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So Wonder was definitely a pioneer. Um, did you find that you had to like come up with new processes to do the same type of work? I because you mentioned that development has been. I think the development uh, work. Sort of like, or developers starting working remotely years and years ago. But I feel like design has always been very collaborative, which I think is a, a key difference between design and development. Uh, in design, there's a lot of collaboration and communication with the client and and stakeholders, and that's fundamental to do the good design work. Mm-hmm. So you sort of had to like create processes for adapting what was happening in the in a whiteboarding session and And do that remotely, and that I assume I know, but i but I'm for the sake of the conversation, I'm gonna assume that you had to teach your clients and you had to show to your clients, look, this is possible, this is how we do things, and sort of like convince them to like at least uh open their minds and like try to under, uh to to like give you a chance to like run this process completely remote,
1: yeah, um. Now, yeah, like I said, it's it's been a lot easier because everything is remote. So it's not like they have any other choice. But, um, you know, in the past, we've had clients who wanted to work with us in person. So location has been really important. Um, we've had clients who flew into L.A. to work with the team here. Um, so we would have somebody like from L.A. that's leading the project while the designer is abroad. Um, so it's it's been a lot easier for us to uh just host all of these collaboration um online and uh i would say i i'm super excited because i would say like we have like not perfected but it's been it's been a really really good experience for us to really refine uh online collaboration especially the onboarding and the kickoff of the project i think a lot of our earlier years issues have always been that client onboarding like during business development we would hear one thing and then the product production team would hear another thing and then what's delivered is something else that the clients are not expecting and then there's issues there and so by magnifying like what's going on and uh, you know also adding to the fact that everything is remote and so you have to like over communicate we've really been able to identify and create better processes for one, client onboarding, and then two, um, that online design collaboration. Um, So we spend an enormous amount of time uh, between the sales and the production team now um, during the pre-kickoff, kickoff, kickoff, and that first month to make sure that everyone um, has the same expectations throughout, And also um, hosting these workshops, like we'll have like five hour remote workshops, um, just to like, just for the clients to align with our team, uh, brain dump on what their expectations are for for this collaboration and also their product vision, Um, what they know about the products, um, what, what, what what assumptions we're operating under that we need to test out uh solutions ideating and all of that is 100 online
0: yeah the discovery and alignment parts of the product development cycle requires a lot of conversations and a lot of understanding with the client um so it i think that's one of the trickiest part to like move from you know in-person workshops to online because the amount of, of back, and, not back and forth, but the amount of conversations that have to happen. Um, mm. But it seems like the wonder team already figured out a way to run these remote uh, kickoff and initial meetings to get yeah. the entire download and like understand where, what the client's goals are, understand the market, understand the customers. Tell us a little bit about those five hours kickoff. Uh, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if people are very excited of, of going to a Zoom call for five hours. How do you manage that?
1: Yeah, we make it fun. Honestly, like we spend a good, um, you know, half hour just doing intros and icebreakers, um, building that trust with the clients. Um, and every activity that we do is like one we ha- we show the clients like what is the objective of each activity, and they're very open to it because they're like, oh yeah, like this is a lot of value. Uh, before we even dive in, um, we like to use a tool called Miro or Miro. Um Which is like an online whiteboard um and so everybody gets their like sticky notes and they type in their answers and they get like a limited amount of time to uh respond to each question so for example uh we'll ask something like um like uh, what like what are your what are your roadblocks or what are your um uh, like what's stopping your users from doing x y and z like things like that um and Uh, Towards the end of it, like we also summarize like, hey, here's what we've learned from you. But uh, oh, I forgot to mention, we also have like breaks in between. So it's not like five straight hours. We want your full attention. Like we'll have 15 minute breaks, like turn off your camera and turn off your mic or one hour lunch break in between um, the, the two and a half hour sessions. Um, so you can go grab some food or take another call or something like that. So it's not exhausting and it, it does feel like a real in-person, um, workshop or we try to make it as close to that as possible. So, um, yeah.
0: Do you have any set of rules that you give your clients, like maybe turn off your phone yeah. or turn on your camera, things like that.
1: Yeah, um, of course we can't enforce it but we try to like uh, we try to make it fun like hey, like I think I, you're, I think I see you on your phone or um, you know we want to see your beautiful faces so let's turn our cameras on uh, something like that. So well, we'll give a first warning but we're you know it's our clients so we don't want to like enforce it if they have uh, if they want to keep their phones on. But for the most part, everyone's been pretty good. Like they are, I mean, I think it's because they know they're paying good money for, for, for us to host the workshop. So they're fully attentive.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it has to be quite an experience for most of your clients. The first time they say, uh, they receive the email or, or they, they talk to your team and say, oh yeah, we're going to do a kickoff call on Monday and it's going to be five hours. So you have to block out the entire day. <laughs> And they're like, oh, there's no way we're going to have a five hour meeting. And then, um,
1: well, you know, people are not very resistant about it at all. Like we've never heard anyone being like, oh, that's too long. Um, And the other part is we, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we're always refining our process. So we've went back to doing a one hour kickoff. So in this kickoff, we have our business development team um, and our production team just to meet with uh, the actual team for the first time and also for the salesperson to go over what was written in our scope of work so that everyone is fully aligned on what's actually signed in the contract, everybody agrees, great. Um, and next week we're gonna host a five-hour workshop and here's the agenda for it so that you uh, know what you are what you can be expecting. Um, but yeah, last year we were just, putting everybody straight into the five-hour workshop and we realize it's a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, but now you're sort of giving them a teaser yeah. uh, and telling them, so this is sort of what's going to happen next week and yeah. they know what to expect. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the transition between the business development side of the process and, and then discovery and production? Um, because I think, there's something really important here, which is during the, the sales process, your team is already having a consulting role. It's already helping the client define mm-hmm. their problem, figure out what they need, understand what are the constraints of, of of the technology. So can you tell us a little bit about how you train your, your business development team to guide the the prospect that's gonna turn ultimately into a client and how do you create that smooth transition between uh, uh, the sales part of the process, which I think we can consider part of the design process and mm-hmm. the customer experience, and how they go and start working with the, the delivery team.
1: Yeah, uh, so you know, since you've been part of our sales process, it's funny because i had many hats at Wander. Uh, he started out as a designer Uh, then he was our strategist and he was doing sales and then I think before you left you were doing marketing so he's done the full spectrum of of work from design all the way to sales and marketing and um, you know the reason why we're I guess we're talking about this is because uh, a lot of balls have been dropped between what's discussed during the sales calls to uh, you know the the uh, initial kickoff and Now, what we've introduced in our process is um, for our business development team to just, uh, they're they're selling discovery um, as part of our process um, because we realized there was a lot of drop-offs. Like our our proposals are now anywhere between, you know, 60,000 on the low end to upwards of like half a million dollars. That's a pretty big check for someone to just kind of roll the dice and say, this is the team. So, What we've been doing is introducing uh, $4,500 discoveries. Um, So it's a very small buy-in for the clients to get to know our team a little bit better, and for us to also understand um, what's the core problem that we are trying to solve, and what's the realistic timeline uh, that it's going to take our team to solve that issue. And you're not going to get that on a sales call, no matter how many times you talk to the clients. um, We have to like look under the hood look at the product and also look at the market like clients might be telling us one thing but what is the market telling us and we're not going to discover any of that during the sales call so we uh we train our business development team to uh, ask as much question as possible to our to our clients so on the first call they have a questionnaire um, that they have to go through so if you are a lead um You might actually not even know that we have a questionnaire from the other side because the conversation is pretty smooth and uh free-flowing but uh on the wander side we actually do have a like a scripted questionnaire that the team has to go through and that just allows us to see um how much our leads actually understand what their problem is and why they're trying to solve it with design um and uh and then afterwards like let's say like we've closed the sale, they're happy with their team, and they wanna go through the discovery. Internally, we also go through a lot of uh, processes. So we go through two rounds of internal kickoff. So the first one we go through, um, we go through what the client expectations are. Again, lots of expectation setting, uh, because we wanna over communicate that. What are their goals? What are their success metrics? Uh, what are they expecting out of this uh, final deliverable? Any other information that the sales team knows about the clients? And then on the second kickoff, um, by, well, by the second kickoff, the production team should have, uh, should have looked through all the documents that were prepared and then come with any questions that they have for the sales team before we go into the client external kickoff. So a lot of processes uh, to go from sales and production, but that's only because we've gone through um, so many, uh, so many ups and downs of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you you learn from from all of these experiences. Uh, I don't think the client even knows all of the work that goes into preparing the kickoff, like all of the work that's happening behind the curtains to prepare the team to to (laughs) tackle the project, which is actually pretty exciting. And probably some other agency owners and freelancers listening to this might be wondering like, what happens when between when the client says, yes, I want to work with you. And until you start actually doing the work, but you should be taking some notes because you should not be just sitting around and waiting for everything to happen in the kickoff. Preparation is key. The more you understand the problem ahead of um, ahead of time, the more productive those initial conversations are going to be.
1: Yeah, um, our current COO, um, who was a, a yeah, our current COO, would always say, "Failure to prepare is preparing to fail," and it's it's so true, especially when it comes to um, client communication, client kickoffs, and and so on. Uh, but yeah, they have no idea what's going on behind the scenes because a lot of times they'll say, can you guys start next week? It's like, we can, but that's not setting you up for success.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not in your best interest. Yeah. Um I think, I don't know if you guys do that, but like, do you ever share all of this with the client or they, or they have no idea?
1: Oh, we try to share, like we tell them like, Hey, we need two week lead time. And they think it's a lot because everyone always wants to start yesterday. So, uh, again, it's just about education, like letting them know, like, Hey, like we one, We're trying to set you up with the best team that's suited for what, uh, your product and your industry. So we got to make sure that there's a client team match um and then two you know we also have to onboard the team so that they know what's going on
0: yeah go slow to go fast exactly yeah that, that's very that's very great um okay so we've talked about how the wonder didn't have an office i do have some insider information and i know that at some point Wander had uh, uh an office yeah uh, a tiny office um, <laughs> Can you tell us what, what you guys were storing <laughs> in that yeah. office?
1: Yeah, uh, it was a <laughs> it was one of those WeWorks two-person office. And uh, the backstory of that was like, there was this guy that I met at an event and he had won uh, some like founder award from WeWorks that allowed him to have the WeWorks office space for like, I don't know, maybe like, six thousand dollars a year and he's like hey it's a two-person office do you want to share it with me so I think we ended up paying like three thousand dollars for the entire year uh, to have that little two-person seater office and uh, I was never in LA I was never home so I didn't even use it Um, and that was the only time we have ever had that little office space Um, but that location ended up being our permanent mailing address but uh, i do have an update i uh they we closed down that office location so uh we're gonna have a new we have to have a new uh mailing address which i'm really bummed about because we've been there for five years
0: (laughs) oh yeah that that sucks yeah but i mean it's not it's not surprising given you know the the COVID crisis and the WeWork crisis yeah. that happened before the COVID crisis, so yeah. it only makes sense that that WeWork should start to um to shrink. Yeah. Um. So funny. I, w- what were you? What were you using the the office for? It's just
1: nothing. <laughs> for, for I mean, letters. Well, so for one, for mail, but two, um, <laughs> two we were so we we just kind of pretended like that's like our big like you know, uh, our home, uh, not home office, that was like our office for the whole company. So we would have client meetings from time to time. Um, We wouldn't show them that it's a two-person office, you know, we would just invite them over to WeWorks. And it's so funny because that going back to my first year of like freelancing and transitioning into the agency, um, I had this one client that had a really beautiful office uh, space in Westwood. And I would have, my sales meeting in his office um (laughs) during that first year so uh many little startup hacks you know it's part of the journey
0: (laughs) it's funny that um even though the company was entirely remote you still had a physical address in la to sort of like you know make it look like look we actually have an office and um and that you had to like that for some people is important it's like yeah okay I'm telling you that we're 100% remote we don't have an office we everyone works from home or from the beach or from whatever they want and some clients would still feel like they needed to see the address mm-hmm. to feel like they were working with an actual company again yeah. this is pre-covid yeah being remote was not so um so popular um yeah.
1: It wasn't credible. That was, that's, that's how I would say it. Like a company would not have credibility if it didn't have an office and how big that office was, which is, you know, ridiculous to think. And it's so funny because we've had clients who would physically send a, a check. And, you know, there, there were times where I wasn't home or like I wasn't in L.A. and I would have to fly back just to just to process that check.
0: This was this century, you guys. <laughs> this didn't happen in the '90s. This yeah. happened recently. Um, the funny thing is that how little um, impact The Office has, or actually, doesn't have any impact at all in the quality of the work, in the yeah. quality of the of the professionals that are delivering the work, um, in the quality that the that the team produces. Mm-hmm. It literally has no impact whatsoever. Um, But still, it's sort of like you kind of had to have it. So like, here's the little hack for for the audience if you want to do this in a world, in a distant future in which COVID is not a thing anymore. Um, uh, You could just get a virtual office or like a virtual um, address. There's a lot of companies that do that uh, for very little money. Um, I think for like 10 bucks or 20 bucks, you can get an address. And I I think some people still consider those things important. Uh, But now you know that, you know, it's.
1: Yeah. And I think some people would say like, oh, but that's like how we build company culture. We have a ping pong table. We have free lunches on Fridays. And honestly, um, those are all great. But, you know, I I would say like those companies are creating uh, like environments for people to uh, create culture. But I think what's special and unique about remote culture is uh when you do get together in person um and i highly recommend if you're remote to host uh regular retreats that when you host these retreats like people like they love seeing their coworkers in person for the first time or um you know or seeing their faces again like they create real bonds because they realize they have a very short, limited amount of time to bond with each other. So they want to know everything. You know, they want to be friends. Like they want to um, like actually take the time to get to know you um, versus, you know, if you see a coworker every single day, you might not have that personal bond with them as you would with, uh, with remote companies that host retreats. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Ed? Like you've been to all of our, all of our international retreats. <laughs>
0: I think it was. Um, it's a very interesting f- phenomenon because usually when you start working in a physical office and you're the new person, um, you start meeting some people either because they have coffee at the same time that you have coffee or you sit together for lunch or, or for whatever reason. So kind of like during the first months, you're still trying to get to know people as you start working with them. But when you are 100% remote, you start working with them before you you meet anybody and typically when you would start when you when you connect with people is because you're already in a project together so it sort of like builds that connection before there's a physical presence which doesn't happen when you're working in person so when you finally get to see those people uh, in person for the first time it's like you've known you've known them forever it's like And you probably have been working with them for a while, but like the first time you see them, it's like, oh wow, it's the first time I I see you guys, but I feel like I know you. It's a very very sort of magical feeling.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, can we talk a little bit about remote culture? Because I I've seen that some people still feel like to build culture, you need to have the ping pong table and beer on Fridays. Um, How's how's culture in a remote setting?
1: it's definitely more I, i'm going to keep emphasizing this it's more personal because you can't see the body language you can't um always uh you just don't see the person so what you do express it comes from uh comes from the heart it comes from the personal experiences that you have that you want to share um so yeah, I mean, I, I love it. Like, so f- what we do as a company to c- keep encouraging people to share is little things that don't even cost us anything. Like for example, um, you, you were a part of this, uh, change your Slack profile photo to your ba- cutest baby picture that you have. You know, everybody changes it. It's like, oh, that's super cute. Uh, we have like monthly uh, competition. So like how many burpees can you do in a row? Um, or where's the favorite place that you've ever traveled. Um, now we're doing monthly team calls and we ask everybody to like dress up. So January we did like winter, winter wonderland. So everybody uh, dressed up in like, I don't know, the Snow Queen or Bernie um, or a snowman uh, and people go all out for that. And today we actually had another uh, all team uh, meeting and today's team was like St. Patty's day. And I, I always get so shocked at how elaborate these costumes or these uh, dress-up become. So I'm, like, so happy about it.
0: <laughs> that That's so cool. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important oh. to... You want? Yeah, you want to say something? Yeah,
1: sorry. One one more thing to add. Uh, we get really good with icebreakers, because uh, it get it's part of our uh, it's part of our workshops with our clients. And so, like some of the icebreakers that one of my favorites, I would say, is what would the ten year old, uh, what would your ten year old self tell you now, or what advice would your ten year old self tell you right now? So things like that. So it gets pretty personal <laughs> and we do that with our clients too. So it's like, oh yeah, we're really getting to know each other.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, because you are, so These uh, icebreakers are activities that you do on a regular basis because they're part of your culture. Since you don't have the ping pong table or the water cooler or the coffee machine, you create these activities and the spaces for the team to bond. Mm. And all of these activities then end up sort of like fueling the imagination of the team on what can be done to sort of like familiarize yourself with the client and for the client to to get to know the team and for the client to like start like seeing the fun part of the team and like open up a little bit more to the to the idea of working 100 percent remote exactly that's so cool i love that um let's talk a little bit about um When you were starting to formalize processes you came up with this tremendous intellectual property uh, we can call it on how to like communicate remotely how to deliver work how to do this discovery and alignment processes uh that you know took you a lot of like trial and error to to put together as you started to put these processes in place um what was the process like when you were hiring new people and you had to train them into these things that probably were new for them because they were coming from the traditional model of going to an office
1: uh so your question is how do we start to hire and train people with new client communication
0: yeah how do you like teach them your ways
1: yeah uh so uh, again onboarding uh, i emphasized earlier how important client onboarding is uh it's also very very important on the employee side so Uh, you know, for two weeks straight, it's continuous training and reviewing materials of how we do things, um, you know, how we like to, how we like things to be done, um, how to communicate with clients. And we also have continuous training. um, You know, our our COO is really, really big on um, proper client communication. Uh, So for example, this is like super easy, but not a lot of people do it. And we really emphasize is once you have a video call, like, one don't forget to send the agenda before you get into the meeting so you know that agenda should also clear up like who doesn't need to be in a meeting because i think a lot of people waste time sitting in meetings that they don't even need to be in Uh, so setting that agenda will help Uh, two after the meeting make sure you send out an email confirming and summarizing everything that was discussed so that way it's in writing And I think one of the things that we've learned in our trial and error is that um, we think that just because we're recording a call that we're going to go back and reference to that. A lot of times you don't because you have like hundreds of recordings uh, when everything is remote. So it's important that you have everything in writing and all the parties that were involved um, receives that email. Uh, So little things like that uh, actually go a very, very long way. So we just kind of emphasize to everyone, if someone forgets to do it, we just kind of remind them like, hey, don't forget to do X, Y, and Z. Um, Again, over communicate.
0: When you're onboarding uh, new people, do you have any tips on how to, or things that you've learned on like how to discover if the person is going to be a right fit or like little things that you have sort of like intuitively discover on how to like determine if someone's going to be, Uh, good for the job or not?
1: Yeah, uh, that's even before the onboarding process starts. So um, when we're interviewing someone, we're always referencing back to our core values. And you were there with us right before you left uh, in helping us create those core values. And literally, we will hire and fire people um, and evaluate their performance based on these five core values. Uh, Because that's kind of like the DNA of what makes a person on our team a true Wanderito or whether they're just not a good cultural fit. Um, So, you know, all the questions that we ask during the interview process does one way or another revolve around these core values.
0: I think that's so, so important for all kinds of companies actually is um, know who you are as a company, have a set of values that represent the ethos of your organization and be very firm about them because if a person doesn't matter how technically good they are at what they do if they don't fit within within your values sooner or later there's gonna be conflict
1: yep yeah it's like adding like black paint into a pond of white paint like it's going to become harder and harder to take that coloring out
0: yeah. And, um, what's your favorite wonder value?
1: Oh, wait, let me go back to, I'm going to pull it up. Cause I,
0: you have a cheat sheet.
1: I have a cheat sheet that I have to reference cause they're all very good. Uh, let me see.
0: Also you revised them recently.
1: We did. We just went through a whole process of redoing them. So we had, I think, tw- uh, 10 or 12 core values. Between 2016 and 2020, and we brought in a consultant um, who has uh, who has set up, helped us set up traction and um, help us create all of these new core values. Um, my personal favorite. Can I give you two?
0: You can give me three.
1: <laughs> I can give you three. Okay. Uh, I'd say my first favorite is the growth mindset. Um, So someone who's always open to trying something new, even if it's uncomfortable uh, and they have this insatiable curiosity um, to explore and never stop learning and improve uh, who they are and and their skills um, and, you know, being open to feedback. So that's, that's our growth mindset core value. And then uh, my second favorite is a core value called no fluff. So that means each individual Wanderito has their unique geekiness. Uh, So they're like super passionate about their work um, and they're enjoyable to work with. Um, You know, they have the ability to make Monday a fun day and they aren't afraid to share uh, their personal passion to the Wander team. Um, And I would say the third one that I'm going to call out is... Um, accountability, I think that's really big, just from the business perspective um, and also team team dynamic perspective, like we, we're looking for someone who has the ability to lead and set examples um, and really importantly, like someone who's able to follow up uh, and they own what they, what they say they're going to do. Um, they hold integrity to their work, and their time and how they represent themselves. And they know how to prioritize their work um, and get things done on time. And I think that's really important because a lot of times people will say, like, yeah, I'll get X, Y, and Z done for you. And then they miss the deadlines. And it's like, why? So someone who's accountable is is very, very important.
0: Yeah, especially when you're working remote, you don't have a supervisor. I'm not saying this is the reason you should be productive and do what you're supposed to do. But... When you're working remote, you don't have a, a supervisor looking over your shoulder to see if you're being productive or if you're like, you know, playing video games during work hours. <laughs> um, so it's very important uh, for those of you trying to hire uh, people remotely that they need to be accountable for their work. They need to have a high level of integrity and they have to be very responsible for what they do because you don't. You don't have the same amount of contact with them as you would in a physical office. So you cannot actually be like making sure that they're being productive. That's accountability and trusting your team. Um, I, wanna, I wanna clear out the term one Dorito. Can you, t- can you explain what a one Dorito is?
1: <laughs> a single Dorito chip um no it it is uh the name given to someone who works at wander so you can be a wanderito or uh this is so funny because we've always called everybody wanderito until we brought in this new strategist who uh she's she's argentinian uh currently living in mexico and she started calling herself a wanderita because she's latin and i was like oh that's pretty cool. So now we have Wanderito sense. Exactly. Now we have Wanderitos and Wanderitas.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because yeah. originally I think Wanderito was supposed to be like the Spanish station of the yeah. world, of the word Wander. Um you also mentioned something that I I don't think the audience is uh, familiar with, but I think it's super important. You brought a consultant to apply the traction methodology, which yeah. I think is um, it's a it's a great tool to kind of like finish giving shape to an organization. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? This yeah. is not sponsored by them, but I think it's a very a very important tool for people to look up um, if they are interested in, in it.
1: Yeah, you should get it sponsored by them because what I'm about to say about them is awesome stuff stuff. gonna get them
0: some sales
1: (laughs) gonna get them some sales yeah uh so we were working with a consultant who was implementing uh traction or it's also known as eos which stands for entrepreneurial operating system uh and they are a complete game changer so you have uh different consultants or what they call implementers that implements this uh eos system um which is a way for you to um i guess it's just a way for you to like evaluate and look at your company in a completely different way and operate it in the most efficient way possible so we brought in that consultant back in september and my goodness it has been uh one it's been a game changer but it's also created an enormous amount of changes in the organization. So, in the six-month time since we started uh, implementing this, we have had a lot of new a lot of Wanderitos leave, uh, including yourself, Ed. Uh, but we've also brought in a lot of amazing new talent to the company as well. So it's been uh, it's been a transitional phase, uh, nonetheless, but all for for amazing reasons like myself i have never felt this de-stress in my life (laughs) i feel really good uh i have a lot more time on my hands um i'm working super super smoothly with my leadership team and uh you know revenue numbers wise it's also reflecting that as well like we've uh i was telling you earlier that this time last year uh we're you know we're doing three times as much uh as we did, so um yeah, all the numbers are showing
0: <laughs> yeah um triple your revenue year to year it's not um it's not something that happens every day yeah. it's a it's a really good thing, so congratulations uh what would be like the number one thing that you would say has been the benefit of working with traction slash e o s
1: um I would say two things. One would be the accountability chart. So they don't call, um, it's kind of like an org chart, but it's not really an organizational chart because it's not someone reporting to another person. The way that they structure it is who's actually accountable to deliver um, what they say they're going to deliver. So, uh, you know, for example, the production director is going to be accountable for having performance reviews for their department. Um, They are accountable for making sure that all the projects are delivered on time. So all that accountability falls on that one person. Um, So restructuring our accountability chart has been huge and it's been very, very painful, but but it's just been an amazing experience. We brought in some uh, really, really smart people. Um, And then the second part are, actually I have three things. The second thing is uh, 90 day rocks. So what that means is every 90 days, the leadership team, uh, we meet together with the consultant to go over, what did we do last quarter? What were the goals that we set last quarter? Um, Did we meet those goals? If not, what happened? Why did it happen? What were the conflicts? And then we also set new 90-day goals. um, And we divide that with who's accountable for for achieving each of those goals. And then the third thing that's super, super important is how we structure our weekly leadership meetings. So we call these the L10 meetings. It's uh, formatted as 90 90 minutes, um, and it ends right after 90 minutes. So we start with five minutes of good news, Five minutes of scorecard, which means um, all the numbers and data that are important to check on your company. How are you doing those week to week? Um, have the numbers gone do- down? Why? Um, and you start jotting down all the issues you have for another section of the meeting. So it's five minutes good news, five minutes scorecard, uh, five minutes of customer and employee headlines, so good news or bad news in, uh, involving your, your team and customers. Then we go into last week's to-do. So what you said you're going to do last week, did you do them? If not, what's wrong? Um, And then we go into a section called IDS, which stands for identify, discuss, and solve. So you talk about all the issues that have happened that week. Why did it happen? Uh, What's the solution? Then you do five minutes of what uh, to-dos for this week. And then you rate the meeting, which is also very important. So you have to uh, rate if that meeting was efficient. If the numbers go below eight, then why? Then what happened? You know, do, did somebody start late? Did we end the meeting? Uh, do we end the meeting late? Um, do we not? Do we just ramble on? Things like that. Um, Sorry, I'm talking a lot. <laughs> and then the third really important thing, which I kind of briefly went over uh, during the, the L10 meeting format is the scorecards. So this is, you get to see on a week to week basis, all the important numbers uh, that are affecting your business. So this isn't just, you know, are you bringing in revenue, but you're seeing everything from your website traffic, uh, bounce rate, number of clients that you spoke to, customer issues, Um, Anything and everything that you can measure in your company, um, you should be looking at that on a week-to-week basis. And so those three things have, I would say, changed how we run the company.
0: It seems like the common thread is accountability. Yeah. Like it puts a a strong emphasis in accountability, which I think that plays really well with the, the whole remote concept and the remote culture. Um, okay, so this is gonna be my last question. If you could go back to back in time and see yourself starring wonder year one, what would be your advice to first year Jenny?
1: <laughs> That's a good question um first year Jenny, I would I'm going to go back on the accountability. First year, Ginny would hire um, the three key people in her leadership team. So, um, so those would be seats that she needs to fill, which is the finance and operations seat, the uh, production slash delivery seat, and the third is sales and marketing seat. Go fill those three items first, and then the rest would be smooth sailing. Wait, I that's didn't yeah Jenny didn't figure that out until year five, so you yeah. <laughs> know
0: well it's it's better late than never,
1: yeah, um,
0: I think that's a tremendous piece of advice um make sure that you have the key areas in your company covered by competent, accountable people, and that's gonna help you run your company more smoothly. Ginny, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really great to revisit the, the story of Wonder and all of these uh, fantastic adventures that you've lived in, in this past five years. Um, I knew some of them, some of them I didn't. So, this is also news uh, for me, and it's been really, really great to, to hear them. Um, where can people go to find more about the work you do with Wonder and, and about what you do as an entrepreneur?
1: Sure. We're redoing our website, but you guys can visit us on our website at www.wander.studio. Uh you can also find me on social media. It's Ginny Um O. So it's J-I-N-N-Y-O-H-H across all the social media platforms.
0: Awesome. Um what's the the one social media platform where you're more like more likely to respond?
1: Mm, if any. I'd say Instagram. Instagram? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Awesome. All right. It's been a huge pleasure to have this conversation with you. And um, yeah, thank you you again for taking the time. Uh, It's been a lot of fun and um, I'll talk to you very soon.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Ed.